0: Welcome to Decoding Digital, Intevity's guide to effective digital transformation. Sharing lessons learned and actionable tips and tools from the field and across industries. Intevity, accelerating business digitally.
1: Let's get started. So um, Mark and Ali, it's great to uh, join you guys today and, and get a chance to talk on some of my favorite subjects around digital transformation and really helping organizations experience the value of what doing it right can be. So for the audience, Ben Elmore, I'm the uh, CEO of Intevity. I have a 20-year-plus background in helping organizations adopt uh, new technology. One of those particular ways is in, in the use of online commerce as a way of driving growth, whether it be in a B2B, a B2C, or a B2B2C. Uh, model is there work with some of the top brands one in particular would be under armor in which i had the privilege of being there when they were pre-ipo at 8 million online and have been kind of there for the ride as they they've grown into be this uh, billion dollar a year online behemoth so certainly passionate about it seeing the power of what it can do when done right Mark? That's great. Uh, good morning. I'm Mark Ostranek. I'm the
0: chief sales officer for Big Commerce. Uh, So That means I run all of our sales teams in the U.S. and internationally. I'm actually an engineer by trade. And so I'm an engineer converted to a salesperson, interestingly enough. So, so I've often kind of felt like, uh, and actually it brings me back, the, the, the title on my first resume ever it said that my objective was to bridge the gap between technology and humanity right? And you talk to a recruiter and they're like, what? Just tell me that you want a job, you know, in a tech company, right? And I always laughed and I said, no, like, I think there's actually something bigger. And and so I've worked in a number of industries and businesses, everything from financial services doing core banking systems to uh, Experian, the Credit Bureau, to Bizarre Voice doing ratings and reviews to late 2000s and early, late 90s and early 2000s, working, uh, selling appliances online and cars online and working with Land's End on online strategy. So so I've run the gamut of, of a few different hats, but I think you know that's really brought me to Big commerce and and I think that's it gives me I think an interesting perspective on our business, both on the technology side but also the types of merchants that we're working with.
2: Awesome and Ali of I run our enterprise sales team here at big Commerce in North America, part of Mark's team. 20 years in the software space and the last 10 in e-commerce specifically, working for several different e-commerce platform providers and spending time on the agency side implementing three of the top platforms in the space. worked with a lot of different customers, both doing direct-to-consumer, sort of traditional retail B2C, as well as manufacturers that are selling quite a bit through their B2B online portal and also looking to expand and direct-to-consumer. So excited to be here with you today, David.
1: Awesome. So our topic today is really around creating a digital strategy that allows an enterprise to get to yes. So I want to start out with just like one of the things that, that I'm really, why I'm really excited about being here with the two of you today is like from, from an organizational perspective and an executive alignment perspective, we share a common ethos about really driving value for our customers and helping them really experience that potential of what digital can do to their business. You know, I think it, you can tell a lot about an organization, a person, of when they decide to celebrate. And, uh, you know, as we've gotten to know each other, we realize that celebration happens when the enterprise or when the customer actually starts to see the sales come in and start to see the return on their investment is. You know, as we talk about the digital landscape today. I'm always like what I frame constantly is like this idea of what the potential of it is. You know, what we see out there are some organizations in every industry that have just figured out a way to really harness and become that digital native example of what digital at the core could be. And so that, if you think about what's out there today, you have this, this tremendous amount of potential for digital to allow you to reach customers, go into new market segments, start to kind of speed in some cases, expand into those adjacent industries that uh, you serve, that you, but you never really directly come up commerce with. So that potential is huge for growth. The converse side of it is like that potential that's there is also the greatest threat that's facing any business today. And I'm looking forward to kind of diving in and giving that. Yeah, I guys, here some of those examples because there's this urgency today. And COVID has completely changed the landscape. As it accelerated forward this uh, future of work model that we talk about. This has accelerated forward is, this this uh, digital first or digital native emphasis that businesses have. So if if you're out there today, there is a sense of, of wonder and potential and promise. But conversely, what we see is just the threat of, of that same promise if it's not harnessed correctly. Now that brings us to the topic, though. Is like so executives are sitting there today and they're seeing this this like they're in that mix of right either like look what we can do and then also look what's going to happen to us. But enterprises today are really struggling to to figure out how do we go ahead and actually move forward. So what we recognize is that enterprises are facing some really unique challenges when it comes to saying, all right, how do I become a digital first organization? Or how do I enter in maybe for the first time into this digital landscape or market that uh, traditionally I didn't have to do? And and so we wanted to take the time today um, and just have that bat that around. Like, What have we seen that might cause organizations to kind of stall out? either once they get started or even in many cases before. Because if you feel that, if you see the potential and you feel that urgency, then how do we overcome those things that are keeping you from being able to go forward? Hopefully we can, you know, today we can kind of share some of those uh, secrets from the field for anyone that's, that's out there. So let's think about, as we think about the unique challenges, we, we think of, we, you know, as we were talking before, there was, we saw three kind of areas that these, that getting to, yes, really encompass. One was really kind of the change in mindset that an organization has as they think about how do i move from the way i've always operated to how do i incorporate digital into my business the second is about how do then once i have a vision how do i get an organization aligned around it because if, if i can't get the buy-in that's needed in many cases it, it just slows things down and we're we're working in, in a, uh, an age where where months matter on implementation so being able to move quickly is important and then finally is like i get started under the line i get a vision i get aligned and then I'm just left slugging out and saying, how do I make sure this product, you know, how do I get the, the full product of it? How do I actually get to the realization of it? And so each one of those have unique challenges that we have a, a responsibility as executives to overcome. So you had briefly about some of just the, the mindset shifts that really come in there. If you want to like take a take a whack at that and just kind of bat the one around
2: Yeah, I think from a mindset uh, shift change, one is just thinking through the investment model and, and how you need to look at commerce in today's landscape. If you go back 10 years, maybe 15 years ago, it was pretty easy. You stand up a web store or you stand up a B2B portal and the buyers will come. So it very much was that field of dreams. If you build it, they will come. Today's landscape is tremendously different. There's so many new entrants in the market. You've got behemoths like Amazon, Alibaba even Target and Walmart that are encroaching on other people's businesses that you really have to think through how you're going to engage your customers, attract Mm -hmm. them to the site, and delight them. And that requires thinking through that investment lens a little bit differently and spending more money on the user experience than you may have in years
1: past. Yeah, that's a really good point on that one. You know, we think about even when you're trying to think about like, I need to spend and you talked about the customer experience side, right? It's like that part of that comes from understanding like, what is the target? What is the Alibaba? What is the Amazon? What is the Walmart actually doing? Which is finding a way to really solve that buying those commodity, those commodity purchases really simply. Um, it can be intimidating, right? I mean, So like the bar that Amazon
0: has set is pretty darn high. Right, yeah. Really easy to transact. Selection is very broad, right? The the ability for them to do merchandising is really significant, right? They're a big starting point for a lot of direct to consumer purchases, and now growing into some more and more for B two B. And so we see merchants that have some trepidation about the fact that like that's a pretty high bar to step up to, right? When you're competing with somebody who has that much traffic, that much product selection and the ability to manage to uh, price and price optimization. And as so a part of our answer to that is that the, the beauty of the time we're in now is that SaaS products have really changed that landscape, right? So that mm-hmm. the barrier to going and turning on technology is very different than the barrier to going and building technology from the ground. And, and I think that's the biggest difference that we've seen now is that You know, the, while the pace of change is so high, there's never been a better time to be able to use products that give you speed. And that's not a pitch, right? That's just reality. And I'll give you an example. So we have, we have a customer who is a very large multi-billion dollar real estate company, not a traditional buyer of e-commerce platforms and solutions. But the, the interesting challenge that they faced in COVID is that they have very large holdings in shopping malls. And so if there's one place where you weren't spending time from March to June, it was inside a shopping mall, right? Most of them were physically closed, like you couldn't even go in. And it's kind of odd because they're designed the wrong way, right? They're designed to keep you in, not to make curbside pickup really easy. Right. It isn't that every storefront is on the edge, the outside circumference of that facility. And so they with us launched an e-commerce platform, I think it's six or eight weeks or less, right? Launched an online e-commerce platform. And the first merchants in their physical storefronts they went to serve was the ones who sold food because they were the ones fundamentally cut off from foot traffic. And I think it's just an interesting example, right? Of something where um, there are plenty of other options for food, online delivery services, DoorDash, and, and, and uh, Favor and all these things that, that are great. But they have a branded and local experience, right? meaning people know the local mall by name, right? And so they have this interesting opportunity to take a local approach, but at a much larger scale, given their uh, overall infrastructure to bring something to those merchants that the merchants could never afford to do themselves, right? They're never gonna be able to go and produce their own site with their own traffic, the ability to add other products from other merchants and, and vendors. And I thought it was just an interesting example of something that is not a traditional play in e-commerce from a non-traditional e-commerce buyer, but it matched a strategy that they had, which said, look, our customers are important to us. Mm -hmm. What can we do to enable our customers to go survive and or do well in the pandemic? And I think you nailed it in the opening to this topic, which is we very much feel the same way, right? It's if you put your customer first, you get to some pretty interesting and fast strategies in e-commerce, right? In, In our world, it's how do we give them the tools and capabilities? But if we think about our customers serving their customers, what is it that they need? Is it access to products quickly and easily through search? Is it optimizing checkouts, providing unique payment methods? Is it providing avenues for shipping, logistics, or fulfillment, depending if the items are large or whether they're small? There's some really interesting things that can be overcome, but I think the advantage or the difference now is if that strategy can be set, you can actually align on something that you want to do or Mm -hmm. a strategy. A lot of the technology can unlock very quickly ways to get into market
1: yeah oh there's so much rich there's so much rich stuff in that comment you did right so we talked about when we're when like how do we navigate or pivot through this disruption right one of the things is you take an inventory on what is it that i have in my assets right what are the things that are uniquely mine you know why amazon and target and all those big players have reached what they lack is customer intimacy right and so you look at this you know, the local mall like you know it by name you have memories that are tied to it right so how do you then, how do you leverage that? I'm just recognizing A, that's an asset. Then B is like, how do I just engage with that in a different way? Um, not going and saying, how do I compete with Amazon? Because you're not going to need to be able to do that from a pricing or from a broad, not, you know, aggregate of products, but really you're going to compete with them on an intimacy level, right? And finding and, and allowing the part of that mindset is, is giving yourself that permission to let go of things that got you where you're at. You know, there's that old saying is what got you here won't get you there. But sometimes we have this emotional attachment as, as owners or as executives or as, like, this is the way we've always done it. And you have to really be able to say, what is it that it really is my unique that I can then kind of carry through inside of this new digital medium? I, I really like how you kind of talk about, like, that's a great example of customers know me. And now I can go ahead and enable an ability for them to, to get to me and I can do it seamlessly. And that's like, and the technology side, is really important too, right? It's like once your strategy gets set then the technology decisions become easier, right? Sometimes we look at technology can be considered like this holy grail. Like if I just buy technology, then my then all's well. But technology should never be bought for the sake of being bought. It should always be bought in service to a strategy we're trying to enable. And I think what we're starting to see now is like when we think we're three years in on this digital transformational wave that we've kind of seen, is that we're getting, we're seeing the successes, but we're seeing a lot more of the of the, of the horror stories that, of kind of these efforts that have just kind of just kind of stalled out. You know, every executive I've met has like, you know, has either knows of or directly experienced something that's just taken their, their company and them to stumble. And so one of the things you talked about, Mark, which is important is like, let the strategy emerge and then have the technology unlock it. It's always that one-two punch, you know, like, and that avoids that shiny object syndrome that avoids that, that dive into technology for the sake of it, as opposed to diving or setting technology as an accelerant to what we're trying to do. So that's a good mindset shift right there. It's like, how do I think about technology in relation to my business rather than it as being a separate thing that's out there? Yeah, yeah I think you're, you're spot on. You know, we've talked a
0: bit about the whole notion of like an agile Methodology is often attributed to technology development, right? There's a lot of technology development aligned to that approach, has nothing to do with technology, right? It has just been adapted to actual development of code and, and technology products. And, and I think kind of the interesting irony there is what, what Agile was, is really meant to do is a process management, right? So that you always have iterative development. You spend more time planning. And setting out your strategy and then how you're going to measure the success of that strategy executes like one quarter of the puzzle, right? Of like actually turn building it, right? is like one quarter of the puzzle. And I think that's what's so interesting now is that if you can get that alignment and plan and strategy, that ability to execute has never been faster, right? And that whole idea of being able to be iterative, right? The the days of big bang, you know, multi-year waterfall projects are so long gone, but that should also apply to the mindset and the approach, right? It doesn't need to be a big bang mindset. It should be, how can we get something live that works and addresses this objective, Great, that unlocks my ability to start doing these next things. Now, I'll give you an example. Something that I've been working on going into holiday, right? So, for for in the e-commerce platform business, right? Holiday is the biggest time for volume on our platform transactions, but it's not our peak season for selling e-commerce platforms, right? I mean, if you think about the the retail business, people are operating. Their platforms that time of year. They're not buying them and and rebuilding them right and and doing a lot of tech. Or at least when you're in traditional consumer, yeah. and masochists, like right? Yeah, right. exactly. If you really want to, you know, go through that over the holiday, right? In the you know six weeks, it, good on you, right? <laughs> um, but but we're often kind of thinking about how do those decisions? When do those decisions really get made? And and at what point, you know, do the do those happen? And for us, that happens much early like the summer for us right and leading into fall is where those decisions happen and so you know we were talking as we're getting into october and we're like gosh not to say this is our slow time but it like it's not the peak that happens for especially for online retailers and and then we were looking at some of the things that sit in product strategy and said okay wait social selling is a big topic right now right everybody's trying to figure out influencer marketing and how to sell on instagram and facebook people are talking about it like a lot of people don't know what to do about it. right? So yeah. It's just like we should have a strategy for selling on Instagram. Well, you can swipe up and check out on Instagram now. right? Like they, The technology exists. Instagram supports it. Facebook supports it. Or you can have a shop. But a lot of folks aren't doing it. And it's not because it's not a good idea. It's because it won't hit their cycle to implement until next summer, right? So they're like a year away. So the idea pops, right? They're like, for sure, that's on our radar, but we're a year away from ever executing. And we said, like, like you don't have to put our, your full catalog on us and do all the migration and integrations. Part of the beauty of selling on Instagram and Facebook checkout anyway is that, like, you're using them for checkout and in a mini catalog, right? You're not putting your entire, every SKU and, and every variant into uh, Facebook. You're creating a, a subset that you're publishing out. To that channel, that's something we could bring to merchants now to say, turn it on. I mean, you'd be on in that, and you know, a couple of weeks, right? Maybe even less, right? And and kind of leapfrog some of these to say, great, I mean, if that's our strategy, let's test it and learn it. Is it going to be 25% of our revenue? For sure not, right? But is it something that we can get to market, test and learn, and then affect the strategy as we get on the other side of holiday? Yeah, for sure. And I think that's part of what I think some a lot of the conversations that that I know you have with executives at these types of merchants is, is trying to pull them forward to be able to get to decision-making actions that's right, uh, and give them some tools to be able to say, yeah, it's not just the strategy. I can actually take that further into something, even if it's test and learn, right? It, and yeah. that's a big part of, I think, uh, of e-commerce is, is this ability to test and learn on ideas and thoughts and strategies that you have.
2: Yeah, I, I just like to tee off on of what Mark said. And I think it's interesting because COVID's forced this, and we've seen sort of two thoughts here when you're talking about the, the changes in how people are approaching these things. And there are the Call it some large organizations that have said, wait a minute, these are uncertain times. Let's scale back and let's really think through our strategy. And I think that's great. You do need to think through your strategy. You need to think through your investments and, and what you want to provide to the market. But there is that potential for analysis paralysis. And you see it happen in the larger organizations. A lot of folks involved in the decision making. And then if you look at the smaller end of the segment, you know, the SMB merchants that are trying to make their way or the smaller mid-market companies that are owner-operated led family businesses or an entrepreneur they're pretty quick to make decisions. They are the disruptors. And so they see the vision, they understand what they want to do. They know they need to bring a different experience because maybe they need click and collect or buy online, pick up and store capabilities, and they move fast. So while I think it is important to be prudent and have a solid strategy in place, you can't let that hold you back from quickly getting into market and testing and learning. Like, All the theory in the world doesn't prove out what actually going to market will if you can do it efficiently and quickly. And what I've been excited about is we've got some large brands, a Fortune 50 brand that sells online as well as in-store. They're looking to roll out big commerce in Canada. And one of the great things about what they're trying to do is they are looking to buy online, pick up in-store. And traditionally, a company like this might think through their strategy and say, well, we need a distributed order management system, something along the lines of a Sterling or Manhattan. We're going to need a big e-commerce platform. We're going to spend a year to get to market. They said, no, we don't have that time. We have to do it quickly. There are folks in our ecosystem that have apps that provide this buy online, pick up and store capability that integrates in with our platform and allows folks to get to market quickly. And they are spinning up their first stores and bringing their retail stores uh, online into big commerce and integrating those experiences in a matter of 90 days. Mm -hmm. So it is that test and learn, get there quickly and don't overbuy the technology platform. Buy something that's fit for purpose that will scale. You're never going to get 100% of your needs out of the box. Realize that and be ready to move quickly.
1: Yeah, that's a really great point. You know, I think about like working with Under Armour over the years, like in in some of those early years, right, that temptation for organizations to try to buy super far in advance of where their needs are. And what I say is like, and that's a, there's a real trap there. Because when you buy, it, there's a need for large scale platforms right? because the size of an organization like enterprises, like it's an easy term, but it can be anywhere from, a, you know, that $100 million business to a, to a $3 billion business. So enterprises is, is can go you know, all over the map, right? And so depending on where you're on the scale, on, the, on that scale, what you deal with is the scale issue, right? And so enterprise platforms come in there because as you get bigger, you end up having support more and more use cases, more and more complexity into your business. But if you buy for when you're a hundred million dollar business and you buy and you start to buy I'm thinking I'm a I'm a, a half a billion dollar business, what you've done is you've introduced all that friction too early in your growth. Right. And there's the companies that are sitting in that 10 billion plus, they introduce friction from purpose. They actually need to go a little slower because of of what happens if they if they don't um, if they allow too much individualism inside of the business but early on i love that point you want to buy to where you're at and you want to buy in a place that allows you to experiment and to really prove and that actually allows you to make decisions on whether or not the customer is going to engage with you in that channel or not right if you're going to say like let's say it's social selling right there's many use cases for that but there's also many companies that's the wrong approach this uh, makeup company startup you know, sales 100%, let's go do that. Well, if you if you sell, you know, wrenches and pipes, social selling might not influence marketing isn't necessarily going to help you, you know, so you got to avoid that tendency. Now, maybe there is, like, you know, who am I to say there's not this huge influence of marketing around around plumbing equipment, but it allows you to really go ahead and say, well, well, if you think so, right, and as executives, we should be testing, how do we do this in a way that doesn't make me commit to this massive enterprise scale. So I think it's that like two aspects to it. One is you need a platform that's agile enough to be able to experiment. And then also making sure you're buying the platform and the set of platforms that you need as you go along. Because there is a need at some point where you're going to do an enterprise order management system, you have to, right? Like, but most of the time you don't need to do it now. And, and if you're looking at this concept of planning, like what's causing you to stall out? Sometimes it is, that sense of like, well, I need to make sure I do it because I am an enterprise, as opposed to like, what do you need to do it now to start to gain the momentum to unlock the revenue to be able to do that? You know, and so when we were doing those early days of underarm we would be replatforming different pieces of our technology on a two-year cycle. And I, you know, we're saying, well, you know, we're experiencing this 40%, 50% year over year growth. It's okay, but I don't want to introduce friction needlessly early. I want to be able to find where that revenue is so that I can then make the next setup of technology decisions to kind of match pace with where the business is at. So Mark, going back to that point, you know, one of the things I, I really loved about it is that it's really identifying the concept that agile is not, you know, was, was co-opted by, you know, the technology, you know, I have, I'm also a technologist as a background. And so we, we kind of share that in our history and there is this, like what I find is that the technology people always move towards, right? It is actually the thing that becomes the easiest thing to do. Like you can move on it quickly, but it becomes one of the things that gets you in trouble the most if you don't go ahead and have a vision, if you don't have a strategy that is enabling, uh, because technology is not, like technology is alive. I was like, I describe it to people, it's like you got to think of it It's like, it's like a horse, right? It wants to go somewhere you have to tell it where to go. Otherwise, it will take you where it wants to go on a timeline that you never expected, you know? And so it's like, it gives you all this potential and tremendous power, but you have to really start to do that. So if we think about, like for enterprises, we right, going back to the topic of like, how do we get them to say yes? Is to realize is like, we're going to say pause, like pause and thinking like technology first, what's the strategy we're enabling? And then how do you then find the technology platforms that allow you to quickly get there? Either from an experimental point of view or from a... You know sizing it to where the, the investment is because at some point you do have to move from experiment into sure. courses yeah for sure i mean it has to at the end of the day it actually has to work right and at yeah. scale and for
0: the business you know and with growth i think you know i think what you're saying is spot on and i think it's an interesting way of kind of how we work together right is that you know, we're a piece of a puzzle but not all pieces by any means. And I think there's an interesting part of that, of marrying up the strategy for where the customer wants to go best of breed. Yeah. And often we'll tie to something that's very important or a key stake of their strategy. And so we'll see customers who are very focused on us on say search and merchandising, right, as a category. And so like mm-hmm. they are very, if they're very seasonal in their business or they have uh, a, a broader SKU count, great. But they're going to have that as like a core anchor and tenet of what that strategy is going to entail. And that may tie in specific other types of either technology priorities or specific uh, vendors or a specific implementation strategy or or body of work that ties into that characteristic. And, And in our business, we've looked to just to embrace that and say, great, go best of breed right? In the things that are important to you, right? If the things that, if you really are focused on communication channels, whether that's email and SMS and, and social, awesome, like great. There's some fantastic tools for that. It should that should be, marry that up to your strategy and in that category, or if it's, you know, onsite search and merchandising, Fantastic, right? There's some really cool products or maybe product recommendations, right? We're seeing more and more tools uh, come out for merchandising, everything from AI bots that do product dialogue, right? To coach you through more complex product decisions to augmented reality merchandising where you're, you know, you're putting the handbag or the phone on the desk, right? The, so you can see it in your space or putting the desk in the space, right? In the case of furniture. So there's some really interesting things there that we'll often see. And I'm sure that you see in your business where they'll say, I think that's a really interesting characteristic for my business, right? Like AR may be something that really focuses on folks that are like high am luxury, good. Great. I want to, walk around it, see it, feel it, understand the dimensions before I buy something that's a big ticket item or that may be harder to return. Great. That should be part of that married strategy. And then that fits into this puzzle of saying, great, we're picking that thread to go best of breed and really dial in and and awesome. And and that will guide some of the decision making priority spend right that goes around this overall program. And we really respect that characteristic for the merchant because, you know, they can't buy all things and they can't turn them all on at the same time, but it often helps guide the priority. These are our anchor points, or these are the high priority points for us in terms of making that experience something that really fits the brand or really fits the product category or fits the way that they view themselves. In the market, because as you said at the beginning, like that difference between Amazon, tons of traffic, huge selection, but very homogenized merchandising, right? Versus the this is my brand site, this is my brand experience. I want them to have something that rivals if they were to physically walk into my store, work with one of my trained associates, experience my product that way. Like, how do I produce that uh, in a meaningful way?
1: Yeah, we like we think about like when you're pulling together, you know, the, the final technology recommendations right? The having an understanding of what is your unique is so important, right? Like our brand is going to be expressed in these following channels, right? right? How do I best enable that? And so you talked about some of these emerging channels, like the, the face of commerce over the last 20 years has changed so much, right? Well, let's say that the face of technology in the last year has changed yeah. you know, so much. And, and one of the challenges with a lot of like legacy systems, if an enterprise already has one, is to say they're built with a specific set of channels in mind, right? Because technology is built by humans, Right, and and it's built by the, what's are in front of us, and kind of everyone looks in a crystal ball when you're building technology or product and saying where are the market's going, how do I prepare for that? But a lot of the legacy investments that are out there were built for you know single channel, or just the emergence of omni. But what you're talking about right now is like this idea of really this experiential commerce that's starting to occur, right? And that's going to be a struggle for many of these, you know. So if you're for many of these legacy systems to keep up with, you know, I know you've sold across the platforms or as long as I have. And you see like, and it's not knocking the fact that those are solid investments at the time. They're just, can they adapt to where the customer is going? Because ultimately, that's what we have to think about, right? Is how does your customer want to experience you? You know, you can't say, here's my store, come into it. We have to say, where's the store, which is with you, right? And the customer's like, hey, I want to exist in social, if that's your customer, you have to be able to go there. And so knowing that that unique is so important because then it tells you where do I need to make the investments so that I can reach the customer on where they're at. Now, conversely, we all, like large IT organizations, right? We talk about trying to get an alignment. They're saying, hey, I just how much money I spent on this ERP system. You know, Look how much money I spent on these other core systems of records within my with my enterprise. I haven't even quite amortized them yet. So we look at this and you, knowing your uniques and then knowing those, what I call fixed points on the map that you have to extend, like how do we, right? allows you to come up with a leveraging best of breed technologies, you know, core consisting investments all around a strategy of connecting with your customer, you know, and, and so having that ability to have an open platform that gives you that ability to kind of extend um, and support and then commoditize the rest of it.
2: Yeah, I think there's a couple things there too. One is that, you know, there's this notion of, cognitive ease. All humans want cognitive ease. We want the answer as quickly as we can get the answer. Once it becomes habitual and it's easy, we know how to do something. There's some muscle memory. That's our go-to. We will go for that answer over and over again. And when you work in one of these large enterprises, it's easy to fall into that trap of cognitive ease of, I have this ERP vendor, I have this content uh, or CRM vendor, or you know, large IT investment already in one of these big software conglomerates. It's pretty easy just to say to myself, the safe easy route is to pick all one stack. And there's some merit to that. There is some safety in that you have a singular, call it one one back to pat, so to speak. At the same time, <laughs> to nice use a plan. positive phrase, at <laughs> the same time, you run the risk of, because of that cognitive ease of choosing the easy solution, you may not be picking the best solutions that help you execute on that strategy of providing the best customer experience. And Does that large software conglomerate, are they really spending the time to make the sum greater or are they just really trying to integrate these things together and losing focus on innovating because they're just doing integration points? And so- Mm -hmm. I think there's a risk there. It's easy. It seems safe, but it may not be the right thing for the experience you're trying to provide to your customer. And that's why I think best of breed is important. And for large enterprises to be open to the fact that the easy button, the cognitive ease, is to go for the one big stack. But think through that and don't fall in that trap every time
1: just want to be, be on the record saying I'm totally taking that on. So that is a great way of really describing what you kind of fall into, because it does seem like the safer route, but that would, that's another form of kind of making a technology first decision, right? It's like, oh, I got one vendor, right? One thing that must make it easier. But today, we still, at the end of the day, we're serving customers, right? So our customers are moving the entire, you know, industry on what they can expect. Right. And they're being entitled and they're being told you are entitled to kind of be engaged at wherever you prefer. And so knowing that we have to meet the customer where they're at, like it, it, that's the epitome of a technology-first approach as opposed to a customer-first approach, which is my job is to go out there and serve my customer, creating relevant products in the marketplace and, and experiences that they're expecting.
2: Here's another pitfall of that trap. Think about the betting industry. You know, Serta, Simmons, the other large betting manufacturers dominated that through retail channels, didn't have a very strong direct-to-consumer experience. And what happened? The bet-in-the-box manufacturers like Purple and Casper absolutely dominate that industry. They took a huge piece of market share away from Mm -hmm. that channel. And all of a sudden these manufacturers had to wake up and go, wait a minute, doing the things we traditionally do isn't working. Same thing with shaving, right? The the minute uh, Dollar Shave Club came on the scene, everyone in that (laughs) industry had to awaken to the fact that there is a behemoth now eating up market share. We need a very strong digital strategy and the cognitive ease of going with the big stack, cumbersome, large tech, possibly getting into technical debt, slow 18 month implementation time hinders the innovation that you need to get to market quickly and be a disruptor like the bed in the box folks like the dollar shave clubs of the world you got to think like an entrepreneur and be that disruptor and i think enterprises are starting to see that today yeah and they- to be nimble. And I think that's the other trap you get into. If you just say, give me the big stack, think best to breed because those solutions, like Mark was talking about the partnerships that we have with folks that provide augmented reality and AR capabilities, you're not going to find that from the big stack vendor. It's the up and coming startups that are bringing these great new feature functionality to market quickly and inexpensively. And, uh, you know, not to belabor the point, but again, think like a disruptor, think like a entrepreneurial based business, even when you're an enterprise.
1: Yeah, you know, one of the things we talk about overcoming those objections and kind of getting to that, yes, it's really kind of addressing one of the one of the um, challenges that comes out when we say, let's be comfortable experimenting, right, and, and trying new things. Because enterprises have this responsibility to say, all right, all the investments that I make, how do I start to pull them into a portfolio of projects and technologies that I manage, right? And so I'm acutely aware, you know, when you're sitting down with the CIO is to say, you know, you love the business, the line of business loves this idea of experimenting, right? Because we always want to think about how do I get new revenue, right? Which is either new markets are opening up or new products out there, and new channels to the existing, you know, to the moving customer. But the, but on the conversely, on the IT side, it's to say it's one more thing, right? Or it's not just one more thing you're experimenting on, it's usually 20 things you experiment on. And then ultimately, I become the owner of it. So, what we found as a way of, of really kind of getting that. Um, addressing that concern is, is completely legitimate, right? Businesses have to find a way to be able to successfully manage and operationalize their technology investments is by putting in mature model governance models that allow you to plan movement from the experiment phase into, you know, a, a department level or a business unit level system to a core system in what you do. We use the Gartner-Pace layering model. We think that's really strong. We, we built our governance model on top of that concept, which is you move from innovation to differentiation to core. And, and being able to go to, you know, if you're a line of business owner, going to your IT partner and saying, look, we, together we have to win as a company, right? And the win as a company is growth, right? Because if you're not growing, you're dying. So how do we... Uh, I'm introducing new and I'm experimenting not to make your life, you know, hard, but really just do it in a way that allows us to grow. So how do we then go ahead and put a system that as my experiments are starting to prove that we can increase the investment, we can introduce more mature technology stacks wherever you feel is needed or, or latch onto existing investments that you have. Cause you don't wanna slow down the pace of the business and you don't wanna create the sprawl, you know, that the IT organization on the end will have to go ahead and manage. And I have seen that when, if you can't address that concern for the IT leader, they they won't be aligned on a movement forward because they're saying at the end of the day you're asking, you're writing checks out of my account and you're doing it in a way that you don't feel the pain I do. So thinking about that right from a from an investment like this, it's a strategy component, and then what is the impact within the whole organization and making sure that the, the vision is clear, what's the return we're going to get, and then thinking about the logical way of best of breed movement from experiment down to core, right? That starts to overcome those objections. So that you can get the whole executive team aligned to support what is, should be the most important thing of, of, for any of us, which is how do we drive growth, you know, and how do we ultimately care for our customers and our employees. So with that, I, I'll, I'll open up for any last uh, comments from the team, Mark. Can you yeah, I on? really
0: appreciate uh, the time and the conversation. You know, I think uh, to tell your last point there in terms of, you know, how to make good decisions as they're walking through that path, right, from concept to to differentiation and then to you know, actually things that they can support. One of the things that I think is interesting now in technology is that, you know, open systems win. Mm. And what I mean by that is that those decisions get easier when part of the vetting is really transparent. I mean, it's hard to get locked in to a specific vendor or technology, when it's built on standards that are in the industry, right? It doesn't require proprietary knowledge. It doesn't require a specific d- domain set or a language skill, and that it's interoperable. So that, like, it's if it's your data, if the system uses industry standards and it has open ways to interact through. APIs or system interfaces, it turns down the agita on whether or not it's something that can be handled or supported. Basically, if it can play friendly, it can pop some of the big balloon on that first, because the the big concern from as a technologist here is like, gosh, I'm going to get hooked with one more boat anchor, right? Something else to drag along with its own update schedule, and it's going to be out of sync, and I got to patch it and do all this other work, right? It's not, it's the kitten analogy, right? It's like that kitten is 15 years a cat, right? And in our world, it's like, well, not not if you're leasing, if that kitten could be swapped out for a puppy or another kitten, then it's great, right? And so I think you know part of that. Picture is vetting technologies and standards early as part of that unlock, that should be part of the expectation going in. Like meaning technology has gotten to the point where if the vendors aren't operating that way, that's, a, there's some pretty hard lines to be able to cut because modern technology should be able to be open, interoperable with access to data, right? To be able to be transparent to the operator, but secure to the folks that are around it. That's fantastic.
2: Yeah, Ben, I think the only thing I would add to, to that, and Mark said it really well, is that going back to this notion of how you're making these decisions, thinking through what the right strategy is, not getting complacent and uh, beholden to the trap of cognitive ease, all of these topics that we talked about, talked about is having a partner that you can rely on to help you think through where you are in your digital maturity journey, if you are on that scale, and mm-hmm. what's the right decisions for you. So that's where we're thrilled in having partners like you that can help our customers and prospects think through what are the right decisions for their business. Yeah.
1: Well, Jim, and I appreciate the time that we have here today. You know, it goes back to like, you can sense in our dialogue or the just in our time together about just the passion of helping businesses grow, you know, and doing what, and making recommendations for them are ultimately going to serve them, not just in the short term and the long term. Sure, definitely. Agree. Well, thanks for having us on. And we really appreciate it, Ben.
0: Thanks for joining us today on this episode of Decoding Digital. For more tips and insights, please subscribe and visit us at Intepity.com. Intepity, accelerating business digitally.